All right, y'all, let's give Jesus a hand. Praise real quick. God, you are awesome. Praise God. You can be seated. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Y'all been standing a long time today, and then you got to sit down for a couple seconds, and then they made you stand back up. So everybody on your feet. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. We're so glad that y'all are all here. If you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to look at one verse of scripture and then we're going to flip right on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and that's where we're going to spend the rest of the day. But I am thankful for the presence of God that we have felt so strongly in the house today. Amen? Yes. Have you all enjoyed the worship? Yes. I love when God just interrupts and just does his thing and just does whatever he's got to do to, to touch us. And I love the fact that we're not scared of letting God just move in the house. Amen? Thank you for leaning in and letting God be God. Real quick, John chapter three, verse eight, it says this, the wind blows wherever it will and you hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. So it is, everybody say, so it is with everyone. Say everyone. Okay, by the way, I'm one of those pastors that likes you to preach with him. So everybody say everyone. Say it like you're going to preach. Say everyone. everyone. Say it like your Holy Ghost filled. Say everyone. everyone. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Father, thank you that your word is forever settled. Thank you for your presence that you have already flowed out into this place today. I know that you're not finished. And Lord, I don't pray that you anoint your word because your word is you. I pray that you anoint our hearts to receive your word as you plant it deep inside of us and we dive into who you are in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. I'm going to do my best to preach very, very quickly because they took all of my preach time with extra worship and honoring my amazing wife, but y'all can do that anytime. Thank y'all for doing that. She is awesome. I am the luckiest man in the world. She married down. I married up for sure. How many of you fellas know what I'm talking about right there? You got to marry up. What's up? All these guys that are looking down there. No, you don't even know. You suck without your wife. I'm just saying. We started this series a few weeks ago called Discovery. And this is really kind of a part two to where we've been for the last couple of months. We dived into the topic of calling which I, what I was really wanting to explain is that calling is not a title and calling is not a position. It's not a job description. Calling is not something God calls you to do. It is literally someone God calls you to be. Because when you are in relationship with God, that relationship begins with the God of all gods, with Jesus Christ, the one and true almighty king and of glory, the king of all eternity says, I want you to come be in relationship with me. And that's what the calling is. But how do I live in my calling? We live in our calling through the intersection of our passion and our gifting. Everybody say intersection where our passion 
and our giftings collide. And here's what we've learned, that our passion doesn't begin just because we decide we want to do something or we decide we like something. Passion is literally birthed in the heart of a believer when the wind of the Holy Spirit begins to breathe over you and real, true, living, abundant life is sparked in you. In the moment of this spark, real passion is birthed in you and God begins to elevate you into this relationship he designed for you before he ever said let there be and in this point is where the giftings begin to be realized and just in case you're wondering we are a church that believes not only that the spiritual gifts apply in our lives but we also believe that they can and should be operational within the congregation amen Amen. I didn't get near enough amens on that do we need to start over again We're a church that believes in the spiritual gifts. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in a brand new life beginning when Jesus fills us with everything that is his character. Amen. Why don't we take about 10 seconds and thank God for his spirit. So when there is the intersection between that passion that begins when we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we're elevated into this relationship, we begin a pathway that I'm simply calling discovery. And we've been in this the last few weeks. We've traveled through a lot of things. If you missed any of it, please check us out on on YouTube, NOLA Church on YouTube, and you can catch all of our our sermons there or also at nolachurch.com. Before I get in any further in the word, I want to say happy Mother's Day to Pastor Helen and Pastor Mary over in Kenya. We love you. You are amazing. God bless you. Pastors Kevin and Helen and Pastors John and Mary lead our team in Kenya and we have nine locations over there getting ready to have one more here in the next few months and I can't wait to see what God does over there. How many of y'all enjoyed coffee this morning? Our coffee was stellar because it was coffee from Tanzania or as they say it over there, Tanzania. Look at your neighbor and say, Tanzania. There you go. You got to say it like a whoo. Tanzanian coffee is strong. It'll get you here. It'll get you here. It'll get you here. It'll get right up in the front of your brain and just begin to bubble and you begin to feel the power of the Holy Spirit as you drink the coffee. If you like weak coffee, you came to the wrong church. If you like weak religion, you came to the wrong church. I got to calm down because I got to get through this. Today, if you need a title for today's sermon, I'm simply calling it this discovering love. Everybody say discovering love. There's no better chapter in the Bible to talk about the topic of love. And and whenever I think of who a mom is and what a mom does, love just fully embodies everything that is mom, right? And I, I think it's just so cool how God works everything's out, everything out. We've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 for the past few weeks. It just worked out well to preach about love today. So is it okay if we lean into this? Y'all going to preach with me? Y'all ready to learn something about discovering love? I'm going to spend a little bit of time reading through this. I want to make sure that we read all this, and then I'm going to do some unpacking as we go. This is one of the most famous passages of scripture. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous. The the love chapter is probably following very, very closely to that because even if you're not a believer, even if you don't know anything about God, no doubt you've heard some of the things that we're about to read. So let's lean into this. And this is what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what is he talking about here? 
Here's what he's talking about. In chapter 12, he lined out the nine primary spiritual gifts. Gift number eight is the gift of languages or the gift of tongues, depending on how old school Pentecostal you are. The gift of languages, the gift of tongues, it doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you more spiritual than someone else. It is a gift that God gives you to bring edification to the believer so that the believer can turn around and overflow the passion and character of God on someone else. There are a lot of people who don't believe in this. They say tongues aren't real. Tongues are just people bibbidi-bobbidi-booing. Let me just tell you this. If you've never experienced something, how are you going to tell someone who has that it's not real? You can talk to me about what you've read. You can talk to me about what you think you know, but you can't tell me anything about what I've experienced. You can't take away what I've experienced, amen? So if I speak in the tongue or the tongues of men, what is he talking about? He's speaking of a natural language, whether it's a language that's known by the speaker or possibly a language that is an earthly language that God is empowering the believer to speak. Or the tongues of angels. What is he talking about here? There's a lot of debate about that. I'm just going to clear up the debate. We're going to interpret the word of God by the word of God, not by the writings of some old dead dudes. Is that cool? When we dive into the word of God, we learn that the tongues of angels are a heavenly language. God will speak through you in a language that you don't know from the earth, but he will also speak through you in a language that is unknown in the earth. It is a heavenly language, and someone says that's not in the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 1. And God is the one speaking through you. It's not your prayer language. It's not your special ability. It's God filling you to overflowing when your spirit or your body or your mind or your soul is weak. Anyone ever felt depressed? Anyone ever felt anxiety? When you get lost in the presence of God in your prayer closet, he begins to speak into you words that you can't even utter on your own. And an edification of the spirit begins to take place. That's not even what today's sermon's about, but I had to hit it because it was right there. Come back in a couple weeks, we'll be right there again. Amen. But if I speak in the language of men, whether God gives me the ability or whether it's something I've learned, or even the language of the angels, but I don't have love, I'm just making noise. Here's what we begin to learn here. What is Paul talking about? There are three things that he covers about love in chapter 13. He begins talking uh, about the legacy of love. Everybody say legacy of love. Then he, he dives into the identity of love. Everybody say identity. And then he dives into the function of love. Everybody say function. And this is important because we see three distinctly different things about love. In case you didn't know this, who is love? Love is not a thing. Love is not an emotion. Love is a God. Because God is love. And we are learning something about the legacy of God here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy... Notice how he's beginning to dive into each of the nine spiritual gifts. If I have prophecy and I know all mysteries and I have all knowledge, I've read all the books, I know all the words. And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. A life without love is a life without legacy. But is that all there is? Now let's dive in. Verse three, if I give away everything I own, oh, now, now we're really getting into humanitarianism. We should all be great humanitarians, right? Let's, let's give it all away. Give it away, give it away now. 
probably should not have done that. But if you've been coming any length of time, you know I'm gonna. So there we go. If I give everything away that I own, and if I even give over my body in order to boast. Oh, oh, oh. Y'all look at my good deed. Hey, can you take this picture of me as I serve them? Hey, I'm going to go pour out my life for this homeless person. Please get it on my Insta reel. Y'all, my TikTok, I, I've been losing followers. I, I, I've been losing people. They're like, they're unfriending me. Can you please get me on video serving, right? We've made legacy about us because we're giving our stuff away. We're giving our bodies away so that we can boast. But if that's what we're doing and we don't have love, I've received no benefit. Go to what Jesus said. He says, hey, if you do it to be noticed, you've already received your reward. Stop asking me to reward you. So the legacy of love is it does not matter what of the nine spiritual gifts are evidenced in your life. And remember, we've already learned God is going to entrust these to you as he decides you need them, not because you want them. Your spiritual gifts are not your ministry. They're his ministry through you to someone else as he decides. But the legacy that the spiritual gifts create is all about love. Let's look at verse number four. Now we begin to dive into the identity of love. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love doesn't brag. Love does not brag. It's not puffed up. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered. I'm getting quieter because this is getting really, really. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not resentful. You hurt me once. You won't do it again. Love is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Y'all think about this. Love bears all things. What does that mean? Love carries everything. The, the most beautiful example of bearing all things is mom. I can't speak to your mom, but I can speak to my mom. My mom is going to be 86 in February. My dad is not quite that old. He's, he's going to be 83 this year. But I, I'm, I'm just going to be real. If my mom was not in my dad's life, he would not even know where his socks are. And growing up, we didn't know where anything was because mom just knew everything. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Mom knew everything. Mom knew how to fix everything. Like even today, I got four daughters and, and they come to me like Podge. They don't call me dad. They call me Podge. They call her mom. I get a dumb name like Podge. Y'all pray for me. I'm being abused. Father shaming is a real thing. Come on now. But they come to me to fix it. Like they'll come like, hey, Podge, never mind. I'm just going to go over here to mom because mom knows how to do everything. Because mom is the physical embodiment of love. 
A mom will bear everything for her children, including the tall one that she calls husband. Moms dress dads, right, Tyler? See, you didn't even know I was going there. After church, make sure to get a selfie with Tyler and Erica. They're all matchy-matchy today. It's awesome. That's, that's it. We know that Erica picked your clothes, Tyler. It's okay. She's bearing all things. That's awesome. Love bears all things. Oh, but notice this. He does it up there. Love believes all things. Wait, wait. So, so love is easily manipulated? No, no. Love intentionally chooses to see the best in people instead of the worst. Like a, a mom's kid could be the dumpster fire train wreck of the church. But her little crumb cruncher is the greatest angel that God ever created. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. They're the greatest singer. No, they're not. They're not the greatest singer. They're, they're your little kid. You believe everything about your little kid. This is what love does because love says, I don't care what you've done. You still matter to me. You're still important to me. I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt even if you disappoint me. Love is not easily manipulated. Love says, no, I'm making a choice to give you the chance to prove to me that you are who I see you in my mind. Love hopes all things. Hope is not a political statement to love. Hope is a reality. This is not the end of everything. Yeah, hey, it's hurting right now. You're going through a situation right now. You're hurting. You've got things happening in your life right now, but this is not where it ends, amen? There's something more beyond here. You need to have hope for something that is coming in the future. You need to have hope that the one who put you in this place is not done with you, amen? And hope also endures all things. The passion of a mom perfectly embodies the passion of a God who says, I don't care what you do, you're still mine. I will endure everything to show you that I love you. And think of the fact that God says, I don't, I don't need you to be perfect for me to love you. One of the biggest lies that Christianity tells the lost world is get saved and God will love you. No, that's not true. God loves you before you ever even could say the name Jesus. I, I love what it says in Romans. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the middle of sin, he says, I'll take it from here. That's a love that can endure anything. It doesn't matter what happens in politics. It doesn't matter what happens in society. Love will endure. Come on, let's take a few minutes and worship him. Love will endure. Now we shift and we start talking about the function of love. Verse 8, love never ends. I fell out of love with them. Pastor, could you pray? I just, I don't feel like I love my spouse anymore. I feel like the Lord is leading me to another relationship. Okay. 
Love never ends. If you're hopping in and out of it, that wasn't love. That was lust. I did. Love never ends. It doesn't matter what happens. Love doesn't stop loving. They don't look like me. I love you anyway. They don't vote like me. I love you anyway. They don't like me and follow me on social media. I love them anyway. They made a life choice. I don't agree with them. I love them anyway. God doesn't hate people that don't align with his word. Aren't you thankful for that? I know I am. He doesn't stop loving just because we don't align with his thoughts and his patterns. He says, no, my love can reach beyond the barriers that you're throwing up with your sin because love never ends. In fact, I don't know if you remember, but I will endure anything to show you that my love has no end. And he goes on, but if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. And if there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be set aside. Let me, let me pause right here to give you some understanding. This is where a lot of people from the idea of Reformed theology and a lot of other people that are called the cessationists, they believe that the spiritual gifts, if they were real, they ended at the end of the New Testament because of this one statement here. If there are prophecies, they will cease. Or if there are tongues, they will cease. He, he's calling out some of the gifts, saying there's going to come a time when these gifts end. But that's not right now. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. If you read the Bible instead of what somebody says about the Bible, then it's really easy to see what the Bible means. Amen? So let, let's, let's dig into this a, a, a little bit more. Verse 9, for we know in part, meaning I don't know everything. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't know everything. Look for the person that's got the biggest Bible and, and like yell at it, you don't know everything. You got one of those self-appointed theologians in your family saying, you don't know everything. For we know in part knowledge. He's talking about the gift of knowledge. And we prophesy in part, he's talking about the gift of prophetic word. Outlined in, in chapter 12. But, but notice this. When what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. So there is going to be a day when, when the gifts of the Spirit stop being needed. That's not today because what, has, what is perfect has not come yet. It's coming, it just ain't here yet. So in the meantime, before we get to the yet, why don't we get all there is of God in, in the moment, right? Why don't we take advantage of everything that he's put in front of us because it's time for us to lean into everything that he is. But what is he talking about? What is this perfect thing? What is this perfection that he's referencing? I'm not gonna take the time to turn here, but let me give you a Bible study assignment to, to dive into over the next few weeks. Galatians chapter four. In the middle of Galatians chapter four, Paul begins to unpack the story of, of the Old Testament character Hagar and Sarah. Hagar and Sarah were both people that had had relationships, physical relationships with the patriarch of faith, Abraham. Sarah was his wife, and when Sarah was unable to conceive, Abraham and Sarah got a human idea in their mind. They said, oh, we're going to help God do what he promised. Isn't it interesting? Whenever we try to help God do what he promised, bad things begin to happen. And so Sarah goes, hey, Take Hagar, let her be your wife, and when she produces a son, that son will be mine. And Hagar went, no, it ain't. And he starts teaching a lesson about Hagar and Sarah. 
And he, he tells us, I want you to look at this like an allegory, that these are real characters. Their story is not an allegory, but he's telling a lesson. He's teaching a lesson to us as believers about the perfection that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 by telling the story of these two ladies. And, and you see, Hagar was, was the slave of Sarah. That, all that means is she was the indentured servant of Sarah. She took care of things around the house. She worked for Sarah. She wasn't like someone that Sarah marginalized. She had to treat her like family and there was only strife in there when they tried to replace God's plan with their own plan. And Hagar produced a son. His name was Ishmael. And Ishmael was a son of Abraham and God said, my promise will be delivered through Ishmael but not the same promise. Even if you mess up, God is gonna work through the lens of what you put in front of him. He's not done with you. He's not gonna gonna say, oh, that was worthless. Let's get rid of it. He says, no, I can work with that. That's not my plan, but I can work with that. But you have to understand in this allegory that Paul is laying out in Galatians 4, Hagar represents a life of slavery. What is the life of slavery? The allegory is that Hagar represents a commitment or a love relationship with the law. What is the law? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and that long one, Deuteronomy. The Hebrews call this Torah. We call this the first five books of the Bible. Hagar represents enslavement to Torah. You see, in Torah, you see all of the holiness of God and you see all of the immutability of God and you see all the perfection of God and you see all of the humanity. I can't do that. And he goes, yeah, I know. That's why I did it for you. Aren't you thankful for grace? But you can't ever get here. And Hagar is representing our attempt to try to be holy through the lens of the law. And he says, you can't do that. You can't be perfect just just simply by following rules. Perfection is something that has to happen on the inside on its way out. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like. It may change when I begin to do my work, but I'm not going to start on the outside. I'm going to start on the inside. And Hagar represents an enslavement to a religious system and the consequences of absolute truth against humanic sin. The more that humanity sins, the more that we're enslaved to the consequence of the holiness of a divine God. And he says, when you are in that relationship, slavery is your mother. Now again, I don't want you to think about the stain of American history. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an enslavement or a a, a chaining of yourself to this system that you have no say in. There's nothing you can do to be holy. You can't get good enough to get saved. You you can do everything you want to do, but you're not going to be saved by what you do. You're only going to attain salvation through who he is and who you are because of what he's already done for you. It's a free gift. You can't do anything because he knows that if you and I did anything to get saved, all we'd do is sit around and brag about it. We'd celebrate our salvation at every opportunity. He said, it ain't your salvation, it's mine. I just let you borrow it for a lifetime. But he's showing the allegory of Hagar. She's the mother of slavery. But then he comes over to Sarah and he says, but she's the mother of freedom. Because Hagar represents a Jerusalem that is established within the confines of the law. But Sarah represents a Jerusalem that's not even here yet. 
Because in the allegory, Sarah's birthing, the motherhood of Sarah is representing the new Jerusalem that John saw coming down out of the realm of God like a bride adorned for her husband. He's talking about that which is perfect that is coming. It's not here yet. So, so what do we learn here? I just got all theological for no absolute reason. Let me, yeah, there was a reason. Let me show you. If, if you, we're in Southeast Louisiana, probably 99.9% .9 of you have someone in your family or perhaps even, in your, even yourself that has a liturgical background like Catholicism or, or Lutheran or something like that. In these, these aspects of faith and these approaches to God, there's a lot of thought of the church being our mother. You've probably heard something. The church is the holy mother. That's not what this is talking about. The church is not the mother. That which is perfect that has not even arrived yet, but is already is in the mind of God. That is where all sustenance and nurturing and development comes from. And when that which is perfect is come, we will no longer prophesy impartiality. We will no longer speak impartiality. We will no longer know impartiality. In other words, we will no longer need the nine spiritual gifts that he gives us to minister to each other because we will have arrived at the place where what he perfected in the realm of God has arrived into the earth. It's where we're going. So what is this motherhood that he's talking about? Here's where the motherhood is realized. The church is not the mother, but the church has the maternal aspect of the salvation process. And here's what I mean by this. A mom is a nurturer. A mom is a caregiver. A mom loves all things, believes all things, endures all things, washes your clothes, cleans your room. Jade. I just got the dead eyes. I'm sorry. The church does the same thing. It's not that the church gives birth to the human. It's not that the church gives birth to the believer. It's the new Jerusalem that gives birth to the believer through the womb of the church. And the church is where the gestation takes place and the development takes place because we have not even arrived at perfection yet. You see, the problem with theology is we begin to think that we have arrived the moment that we think we understand something. You only have a part of it. You don't even have the second half of the book. You're reading chapter one and you think you know everything that's going to happen. He's going to completely, if you can ever get God into your little mind box, is he really God? You're living in, in, a, in a partial truth because it's all you can handle. Because you can't handle the truth. You can't handle everything that is God. Like you, you don't even, you say you want more of me. You can't, ain't, you can't even handle what I've given you. But right now, I'm just gonna show you a little bit of who I am and then I'm gonna place you in this maternal womb so I can begin to develop you to a time of perfection. You see, a mother carries a baby in her womb if it's to full term 40 weeks. Why? It's not because that's the perfect number. It's because in the word of God, the number 40 always represents a time of preparation for a new beginning that comes at the end. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for the new creation. The children of Israel had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years so that they could go into the promised land. Jesus 
after he is baptized by his cousin John, goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, and then when he comes back, he begins to do his earthly ministry. Don't push past the time of development. We're in this right here because we are learning. We are being developed. We are being moved and we are being reshaped and we are being re-gifted and we're being propped up and we're being retaught. We're in this time of development, but perfection is not here yet. It is something that will come. We're being prepared for that which will come. So right now, we only know a little bit. The question is, what are you doing with what you've been given? What are you going to do with what you've been given? I, I know, no, you don't know everything. You think you do, but you don't. But when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. In other words, I made a lot of very immature choices. Why is a church so important? Because you're a child. That's why you struggle with sin so much. Let, let me rephrase. That's why we struggle with sin so much. Any preacher that tells you he's perfect, stop listening to him because they're liars. When we were children, we talked like children. We thought like children. We reasoned like children. But when I became an adult, meaning I've come to a place of maturity where my life can actually produce something I set aside childish ways. Pastor, it's just so hard to live in relationship with God. I, I, Pastor, you talked about this trust, rely, obey thing for like two years now. I'm struggling with trust. I ain't even got close to obey. <laughs> rely? What in the world is rely? Like, don't be offended. Please, don't be offended. But let, let me help you. All that is showing is that spiritually you're still in the place of immaturity. You're still early in the gestation process. Don't try to do anything. Just allow God to continue to feed you through the womb of the church everything that you need to develop you. There's going to come a time that you'll start to produce something. He says, let me earn your trust. You... You don't even know how to trust me yet. Let me earn it. Let, let me prove myself to you. God's not rude. He's not demanding. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He'll work with your humanity. That's why he gave it to you. Because he knows that if he works through it, you can't deny that it's him. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror indirectly. I love the way the King James puts that. Now we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we can see the reflection, but we can't quite make out what it is. We, we see in a mirror indirectly, but then, what is the then? Y'all remember when we were talking about in the beginning, when, when God began to create that breshith? This is what he's talking about. Then, in the new beginning, we will see face to face. You can't see God face to face now, but when the perfection comes... You'll walk up boldly to God face to face and you'll see him face to face. Right now, you're looking in a glass indirectly. You're looking through a glass darkly because it's not perfection time. You're still in the womb. But just like a parent, a good parent does while the baby's in the womb, 
Jesus loves me, this I know. They had to be in a key. I couldn't sing the whole song. Like I, I, I read math axioms to my kids when they were in the womb. I want them to be engineers so I didn't have to work my whole life. Now, I, I've never asked them, and I'm not going to do it now because that would be awkward, but I'm pretty sure they couldn't see anything in the womb, but they could hear. Isn't it interesting that there's an attack on the womb? Are we going to protest? No. We're going to teach truth. You're here in the womb because you are alive. You're living. You're being developed in the womb. You can't see everything. You don't know everything. You only, you only have partial knowledge. There's only some. Look at your neighbor and say, some. But you're not there yet. I'm going to see face to face. And now I know in part, but then I'm going to know fully. I'm going to be intimate in, in actual physical intimacy with the God of all gods because I will be able to walk up and touch his glorified body. I'll be able to see the throne of Jesus Christ in the new Jerusalem, in the physical earth, and him saying, I will rule and reign for all eternity, and I'm going to give you responsibility in my kingdom because you were in relationship with me. I'm going to know fully just as I have been known. Verse 13, this, this, this brings it to a close. Y'all learned anything today? Now these three remain. Faith. What is faith? Faith is the legacy of love. Because you see, when you have love, you're not scared to overflow because you're scared of running out of what you need. When you have faith, you trust that the God who supplies all of your needs according to the wealth of his character will meet every need you ever have so you're not scared to overflow every part of your life. This is the legacy of love. That's our faith. And then there's hope. What is hope? Hope is the identity of love. Love is pointing to something that's coming. That's why love can put up with all these things because love has hope that this is not the end. Our identity as believers needs to be in our hope that this is not our country, that we are citizens of a higher country and that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? From heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's the hope of love. That's the identity. I'm identified by the fact that I am not staying here for all eternity. He is going to sound the trumpet and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and so shall we forever be with him. That's not just my hope, that's who I am. I'm a child of God.
And we ain't done. We ain't done. We're done. Faith, hope, and love. What is love? Love is the function of love. Wait, that, that's redundant. Yeah. Because love does who love is. You can't say you love if you just sit there. I love you. trying to think of that old song more than words never mind I'll stop my hair's not long enough to sing that one anyway but the function of love is who love is what is what does love do love loves love gets intimate love takes what's partial and brings it to fruition in the enduring love is developing and love is producing Love simply loves. But the greatest of faith, legacy, hope, identity, and function is love. I, I can't think of a better way to celebrate Mother's Day. Because moms physically embody everything that we've just talked about. Moms, you are amazing. And I know this is corny, but ain't a one of us that would be here without a mom. I know that's dumb, but it's still the truth. So moms, be celebrated today. All of you that came out, if I've never met you, hi, I'm, I'm your son, Monty. <laughs> Albanese gummies and Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite Christmas gift. I can't wait to see you at, at the holidays. But if we could take just a, a few minutes and set aside the celebrations of our moms, we've got gifts for you. So moms, don't leave without getting a gift. It was handmade with love for you. Every mom gets a gift from your NOLA family. Even if you're not a mom who's a member here, that's totally fine. We made enough for you. Take the gifts. Dads, that's not for you, and it's not food. Don't try to eat it. It's for them. God. Take a picture with your mom in front of the photo booth. Yeah, do, do all that. All right. Let me take the celebration and set it aside. The new Jerusalem is our mother. What does that mean? The place where we're going is what actually gave birth to us. Because that was in the mind of God before he ever said, let there be. He already made a way of escape and he already provided a destination. So the whole process of salvation is birth from the perfection that will come. And now we come down into the womb where we're being prepared. God wants to breathe his spirit into you. And when you can't make it on your own, remember that you are in the womb of the church. You're not by yourself. We're in this with you. You're not supposed to do it on your own. You're not supposed to have all the answers. Are you going through something? Has something bad happened in your family? Don't try to carry that by yourself. Don't be embarrassed that something bad happened. You're, you're not worthless. You're not a sinner just because something bad happened. But oh my God, don't try to carry that pain by yourself. Realize that he took the lonely and he placed you in a family and says, okay, y'all love them the way that I love you. He takes the individual 
And I'm not, I'm not going to play the analogy. We're all adults, but you know, I'm not going to be creepy. But he takes what, that single cell and places it in a womb. And development begins to happen. This is why God placed you here. This is why the church is so vitally important for you and your family and your family's family. And yeah, life is painful. That's why he gave you a church. Does this make sense today? Here's what I want to do. Nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, I want to thank you that your love endures everything. Lord, I want to thank you that your love never stops being faithful. Even when we are faithless, God, your love never stops. Even when we don't know the words to say, even when we get so puffed up in our own misunderstanding of who you are, your love just keeps pushing through the cacophony of our humanity, God, and you keep saying, I can endure that. And I see the best in you. And I'm speaking hope into you that this is not the end of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for being the love that changes us. Lord, and if there's someone here today who has not experienced your love, I pray that over the next few minutes you begin to show them a glimpse of who you are. And then God, give this church the strength to surround them and lead them into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, maybe there's somebody here who who doesn't have a mom. Maybe they never knew their mom or maybe their mom has already passed on. But God, I pray that any person who is alone, let them feel the warmth of that maternal love through the lens of this church today, God. Give us godly love. Fill us with love so that we can overflow to every hurting and broken heart. I ask all this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen, amen.